Um, welcome back. <laughs> do the franchise. To do the franchise. We're back. We're back. We are. Um, by popular demand, James. I think. <laughs> Let's hope. Let's hope there's popular demand out there. For... I mean, there's at least one person at work that's giving me shit about this podcast, so I'm hoping that other people feel that they need more of us. I, I, I'm finding a lot of people approaching me, telling me that they're listening to the podcast almost as an <laughs> apology. So I'm worried. Yeah, I found myself apologising to a lot of people about this podcast. Oh. Which film is it this time, Jake? This, James, is Harry Potter number six, and it is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Yes. That, oh. I'm glad I watched the right film. Good. Nothing to do with the artist formerly known as Prince. <laughs> No. <laughs> the the I, half-blood uh, symbol wouldn't have the uh, same ring to it, would it? No, I think we're going to do better with this one because given everything else that might be wrong with this film in our in our mind, this film, uh, I know all my notes, all my notes have worked this time, so I've got all the information. We, we, we both have a full complement of notes, excellent. We've got a full complement of notes. I have, however, done something rather stupid in that I've left my phone on 3% battery and it's got all my facts on it. So I'm hoping if we just put the brightness down on my phone, it will last um, to till we get to the uh, till the end of this. Hopefully, excellent. Um, so going straight in, James. Um, Half Blood Prince is at a whopping two hours and thirty three minutes. It's a lot uh, of film. It is a lot of film. It's a lot longer than the last instalment, which I think was just under two hours. Uh, it's about half an hour longer. It felt longer. <laughs> <laughs> IMDb James gave this uh, movie 7.6 out of 10 with Rotten Tomatoes going in at 83% score. I think that's generous. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that's like getting marks for writing your name on an exam. Yeah, absolutely. It's like getting two <laughs> points for writing your own fucking name correctly. I just, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to slate it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go in there. I just think if we had to go out of 10, James, um, what are you thinking? I'm gonna give. I'm gonna leave it to you to to decide. And maybe like a four and a half, maybe a. Oh five. really? That low? Yeah. I, I see. I'm gonna give it a generous five, maybe five and a half. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let, and I, I mean, think that's if, generous. If we if we average it out, we're 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 at five. There are things I love about this film. I love things about it. I just I, there's an, obviously there's always that nostalgia piece that you obviously said that you just don't have. I think there's a certain amount of it that is there's a real nostalgia to it for me i like the way it's shot i think it looks beautiful um there's things in the notes that i've been reading about this movie where it was um david yates compared it to what he described as a rembrandt he wanted it to look like a rembrandt so i think that's in his color scheme more than anything else yeah yeah i i i can see that there's there's, mm. there's certainly a, a lack of color here that's <laughs> Annoying me. Um, well, yeah, but the whole the whole end of it's in black and white, pretty much, isn't it? Yeah, and the intro, Weird. like the the Warner Brothers logo, black and yeah. white. Oh yeah, so we're going straight in, aren't we? So yeah, yeah I just put yeah, I agree with that. My first note, I just put very dark. Everything's dark. I can't see anything. It's dark. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we see that London um, is dark. There's lots of stormy clouds coming. Um, it's sort of a pathetic fallacy, isn't it? That like there's darkness coming, and then we see loads of wizards doing things they shouldn't be doing, uh, including breaking the Millennium Bridge and killing loads of people. Presumably, this never comes up again. No, no, no one cares about the Millennium Bridge. <laughs> they after don't. It's they don't destroyed. give a shit. No one gives a shit about it at all. It's completely washed over. It's in the paper, I think, a couple of times. It it just seems like it would be something that people would bring up more. Like yeah. I know there are a lot of bridges in London, so maybe one less bridge isn't that much of a worry. Um, yeah. But it's the newest one at this point, surely in the film. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah, the, it's quite. Yeah. It's the Millennium Bridge. Yeah, it came if, out in the year two thousand, and it was unsafe when it came out uh, when it was uh, when it was opened because it, people went on it and it, uh, some springs broke on it and it wobbled and it had to be shut again <laughs> in nineteen ninety nine, I think. So, are you suggesting that? Because it was wobbly already, people just aren't bothered. I did like the opening shot to this movie. Um, it's a little shot, which is kind of a recap of the of the last movie, the uh, Order of the Phoenix, and you see Harry after the Ministry attack thing yes. with Voldemort, and it's loads of press taking photos of Harry, and you hear like shots of like Fudge saying he's back. And you hear Voldemort screaming, and then it's like, oh, I like that. And then there's a little bit where um, Dumbledore puts his arm around Harry's shoulder and escorts him away from the press. Jake, Love that. Jake. I think that's a great shot. 
he puts his arm around Harry gently, like he was meant mm. to do the last time at the Wizard Death Games. <laughs> the Wizard Death Games, and he just pushes him into a cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is not the original opening to the, uh, to the book, James. It's not at all like the book. Oh, okay. It's probably the biggest deviation from the book of all of them, I think. In the book, it starts out with Har- um, the, the Muggle Prime Minister, so uh, a kind of David Cameron-looking figure, a man... He's in his office late at night and yeah. Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic from the last movie, visits the Muggle Prime Minister and basically spills loads of exposition about what's happening in the Muggle wizard world kind of thing. It sounds like having um, someone go and speak to the Prime Minister might have been a bit like the Star Wars prequels where you find in the text crawl that there's some sort of trade embargo and you sort yeah, of... Yeah, totally agree. It's that over. whole thing. Yeah, it's that whole thing that Star Wars struggled with, which is like, they can't do... Lucas couldn't really do plot, so instead he just has two characters walking around the room explaining the plot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of what this is. So they've kind of deviated from that, and I guess I kind of get why they did that. Um, it, I, it works better, I guess. It's it's more of an introduction to the what's going on. Um, and then they establish uh, Harry gets picked up from the Dursley's house in the book, and Dumbledore whisks him away on an adventure. Whereas in this one, Harry's at a train station and he's trying to chat up a girl uh, who's far too old for him, <laughs> and he swears for I, I don't know for no reason he says Harry Potter is a tosser, and I was like, that's a bit strong. <laughs> and it's also going to be really awkward because eventually he's going to have to explain that he's Harry. Yeah, like, and and she kind of says something like, "Oh, you should tell me all about that toss of Harry Potter." Like, clearly him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a I mean, I... I to be honest, James, I hate that scene. If that scene could be cut out of the movie, it'd be all the better for it. It would because it, we then we then sort of after that get taken on almost like a, a forty eight hours style. Uh, buddy cop movie between Harry and Dumbledore Um, at one point Dumbledore actually says one's out now yeah he does is that in the book one's out Is that in the book? I I would I don't know, but I am going to bloody check. Because <laughs> that's week. so ridiculous. It's like yeah, draw yeah. draw your wand, Harry. Draw uh, your wands. It's then, odd, isn't it? And then what they what they use them? They use them as torches. Mm. It's not even like draw your wand out because you might get attacked. Because as we later find out, the only threat they have is from some guy pretending to be a sofa. <laughs> pretending to be an armchair. They do this a lot in this movie where they just use their torches, their wands as torches. Their torches as wands? Their wands as torches. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so we go to a seemingly abandoned house and we find Horace Slughorn, new character, very important to the plot of this movie, um, played by the spectacularly good Jim Broadbent. I don't really think, and I said this to you actually prior to recording this podcast, I don't think I can say a bad thing about him. No, because he's, he's so fucking good in this film. <laughs> he, he is. He's very, very good. He's. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't help with my uh, sort of mental block on the uh, the Wizard Death Game scene where I yeah. keep imagining them saying the greater good because now he's in it. <laughs> yeah, he is, and he's literally that character. He's kind of, He's an old, crooked, old, like haggard professor of potions who's long retired Hogwarts and Dumbledore wants him to come back and we don't know why until later yeah um and I I like that scene I like the bit where they like sort of clean up the house Mary Poppins style um that was fun and it's it's cute it's unnecessary but it does that thing to kind of remind the audience that it is a magic film and there is some nice little beats in it and there's quite a lot in this movie actually I would probably argue that more than the last movie there are more beats in this film that are more whimsical fun and magic which the last film was sorely lacking yeah and the last film like I said before forgot to make me like Harry I think this film does some things to redress that like I I think I come out of this film liking Harry a bit more I did as well I totally agree with that um, Slughorn does this thing where he shows Harry all the pictures on his on his cabinet, and that's important because he introduces a character in that scene who becomes much more important later. And it's a tiny little moment where he says, um, "Regulus Black, I taught everybody in the Black family apart from uh, Sirius Black, and I would like to have taught Sirius, but I taught his brother Regulus." That's it. Yeah. And I'm not going to say anything else about that. Okay, because that... it becomes it becomes important later, and I like that little moment that they put that in the film, and it didn't need to be there, but it really needed to be there. If that makes sense. Okay, okay, because that's cool. Because the other films seem to have ignored the fact that they're part of a an existing franchise. 
Yeah, and it's um, almost like what they're doing with this movie, and I, I'll talk about it probably as we reach the end of the series. They and this is from a person obviously that witnessed them all as they went on. They have to do a lot in this movie to go. That's going to become really important next time. Shit, we need to get that in now. And yeah. they kind of shoehorn a lot of um, plot points, a lot of MacGuffins, a lot of things have to be in this movie. Otherwise, the payoff in the next two, the finale, which is obviously one book, two movies, it doesn't make sense unless you've got the context. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to bring up about the last film and this film, James. Um, alcoholism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you know about this? Do you no, know what I'm gonna, did you know what I'm going to say? Do you have I, any idea what I'm going to say? No, but I noticed there is more alcohol in this film. There is. Um, there is also a... You can have to do some reading, and I'm going to have to be very careful about how I say this on the podcast because I don't want to get in trouble. Radcliffe has said openly in press interviews that he was um, semi-addicted to alcohol during the filming of these two films. So Order of the Phoenix and Half-Blood Prince, I think it might be more Order of the Phoenix, but he was going through quite a tough patch, I guess, being a teenager, being this superstar that he is, Dan Radcliffe, at this point in his career, I think he struggled with the fame. And I think he struggled with the pressure of the the commitment. Because obviously every scene in these movies, Radcliffe is in. He's yeah. in every scene. It doesn't matter what's going on. The next bit, Radcliffe's there. Yeah. And I think that pressure might be mounting on him. And he was uh, he, he became a bit of an alcoholic. And he had, he had a really tough time of it. And I think he came out better. I don't think he drinks anymore. And I'll have to Google it. But I'm pretty sure he's a teetotal now, Radcliffe. Oh, wow. Because of his experiences as a young man, I think he was about 18 when this film came out and I think he struggled. And yeah, really interesting. He said that he doesn't really remember a lot of the filming of those films. Okay. Because he was off his nut. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So they reckon, again, I don't know my full facts on that and I will find out more about it from the articles about Daniel. But Yeah. yeah, really sad, actually. Interesting, but kind of sad. It's funny in a way because we can laugh about it now. Uh, knowing that he's okay but you think Daniel Radcliffe's actually done really well to say he was a child actor that was a superstar yeah child superstar actors don't usually come off very well do they by the end of it all yeah I mean obviously like you say there there's that roller coaster he must have gone through mm. from being a, a very young person through a young adult and now obviously uh, being in other films that are separate yeah. from that Harry Potter franchise it's yeah. interesting yeah, yeah. totally uh, Harry and Dumbledore then teleport away um, from Slughorn and Harry ends up in a bog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't <It> know why. It <laughs> seems really inconvenient that Dumbledore would drop him there. Just drop him at the house. Yeah. Surely. It wasn't it's that much him. further away. I mean, it's, it's like far they, enough they, to be irritating for Harry this to is walk. Called, this is called apparating. They do this a lot in the new film, in the, in these films. And that's like, I don't think it's introduced at all in the movies, but in the books, it's a big deal that the wizards learn how to do this when they're a certain age. And they uh, apparate and they can just basically vanish and reappear somewhere else. And um, I just find that, like, well, Dumbledore, if he's apparating Harry into a bog, he could have apparated Harry onto a bloody train track. <laughs> yeah. Could have just left, like his, left him yeah. anywhere other than the bog. I mean, that's, his madness. That's that's not very caring and head teacherly of him. But yeah, like like you say, they don't really mention apparating in the book. No, uh, in not the at film all. rather. It's up completely until this brushed point. over. Yeah, and, completely brushed over. Uh, the the only reason I know it's called that is. After they do it the first time in this film, Harry says, I just apparated, didn't I? And then they yeah. sort of explain what it is. I was like, oh, okay. So we've used yeah, yeah, boots, I remember that we've, bit, used, yeah. we've, we've used chimneys. Fireplaces, yeah. Um, why why have Cops. they not used this before? <laughs> uh, you have to be a certain age to do it. You have to learn to do it in your last year at Hogwarts. I believe it's this, the, the last year. Again, Brendan, if you're listening to this, you can drop us a message and let me know. They learn it at school in one of the last lessons. I think it might be either in the fifth book or sixth book or something like that. Okay. okay. If you don't do it properly, your arm can end up being chopped off. So they do a big thing about that. Oh, right, yeah. Um, no, no danger explained in this film. Oh, either. no, not at all. No, no peril. No. We get a lot of Ginny Weasley in this movie, played by uh, the lovely Bonnie Wright. She's great. Um, yeah. I think that Julie Walters, uh, again, shines quite a lot in the scenes that she's in in this film. She sort of pops up. Um, Maggie Smith does this as well. They sort of put her in a random scene. She sort of pops up, Dame Maggie Smith, and she's brilliant, and then you don't see her for ages. And it's yeah. a little bit like, oh, yeah. Uh, one person that we do get a lot of in this movie, James, is Malfoy, Draco Malfoy. I've, I've made a note of this. that they Because um, at the time the, uh, the Millennium Bridge is destroyed, we also get a scene mm. of them destroying uh, something in Diagon Alley. And again, yes, not- it's a shop. 
it's not fully explained until this scene where, because uh, I had no idea what it was, but it's the one shop, isn't it? It is, yeah. They go diagonally later. It's the Ollivander's one shop that John Hurt runs. And John Hurt, if you remember at the beginning of the movie, is kidnapped. And again, that becomes uh, important later on. But they just showed that very quickly at the beginning of the film where the Death Eaters attack the one shop and steal the one maker and they kidnap him. Yeah. Yeah. That happens. Voldemort has him. Um, we see uh, Snape's little house and Draco Malfoy's mum and her sister, um, um, Bellatrix Lestrange, played by the wonderful Helen Bonacarta. Yeah. Um, and we know that Draco has a mission, but we do not know what it is. And Snape is forced to make an unbreakable vow to Draco Malfoy's mother to carry out the deed that the Dark Lord has um, given Malfoy to perform. This is also a big thing that I don't know if you got this in the movie that Malfoy and his mum are being punished because their father failed Voldemort. Right, right. Yeah, do you, no, do you remember? Yeah, when Jason Isaacs drops the ball. Yes. Literally. Yeah, <clears throat> quite literally. So yeah, it's not super well explained in the film, but no. I kind of got that impression. Um, the uh, the bit where Harry and and Co are in the one shop after it's been destroyed mm. and they see Draco sneaking down that alley. They're yeah. all, they all seem mightily concerned that he's being a bit creepy. But yeah. he's always been a bit creepy. Like Yeah, he has. They, it, they make out like it's the new thing, but it isn't. He's yeah. always been a bit shifty, hasn't he? It's like if I saw someone putting a letter in a post box and me going, that's a bit odd. Why, why <laughs> yeah. are they putting that letter in that post box? Why, why would Malfi break the habit of a lifetime? Yeah. So, um, uh, But we, he, he seems to be becoming a better antagonist in this film. He seems like... Yeah. There's more of a, a threat from him, whereas before he was... He wasn't even the school bully because we didn't really see him all that much in the films. No, no, we didn't. And I think Tom Felton is fantastic. I think he's fantastic in this film. I can't really fault him. His performance is great. His expression is great. His delivery is great. Yeah. He's really good. Like you can see that Felton has grown into such a good actor by this movie. Yeah. And thank God he did because the stuff he has to do in this movie... If he was a shit actor, it just wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have, have had worked. to do. If he didn't have the intensity that Tom Felton's got, it wouldn't have worked as a film. It would have just fell apart in the final act. Yeah, that, um, that bit on the train <clears throat> that you know we, we, mm. we've moved now. We're going back to school. Um, yeah. everyone isn't that convinced, or isn't as convinced as Harry is that Draco's evil. Everyone's no. like, no, it's just Draco. And yeah, Harry's a knob. Harry uh, <laughs> tries to use. Magic. He uses a bit of uh, uh, magic from the, the the shop. I've seen the shop in the uh, studio tour. Oh yeah, the Weasley joke shop. Yeah, yeah, it's cute though, isn't it? I like that. It's a bit of light relief. I'm going to Florida this year, so I'm hoping to go down diagonally myself, and I will be taking some videos to put on our YouTube channel that we're making. Brilliant. Um, so James, get ready for that. I, I'm, <laughs> and I'm you looking lot at home. To that. Yeah, can't wait for that. Natalie's gonna be fucking furious <laughs> she has no idea that i'm going to be walking around florida recording all the shops oh no oh i'm so yeah. sorry in advance natalie i do apologize um the the shop though it's really quite cool that they turned what was effe- effectively an act of rebellion in the last film into a business strategy yeah it's great that's yeah. like and i think and again this is something that we don't get in the films uh, harry gives them the money for that so Harry wait, um, gives wait, Harry, the Weasley twins. Yeah, Harry he does, gives he does. Ron's brother's money. Yeah, but not Ron. <laughs> <laughs> That's just rubbing salt in the wound, surely. I love it, and I love the bit as well. Do you know me and you are always saying that people are dicks to Ron? Yeah. There's a bit in that scene where he says something like, how much is it for me? And they went, five galleons. And he goes, but I'm your brother. And they go, ten galleons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a bunch of dicks. Absolutely. That is that is proper brotherly <sighs> love. But yeah, so he we, uses the, uh, yeah. the dust cloud thing. Yes, to sneak up on Draco, but it doesn't really work because Draco catches him anyway. Yeah, and like, I don't get because the the dust cloud stops people seeing as well. But he's wearing his invisibility cloak anyway. Yeah, I, surely. Yeah, I don't understand. Surely one is enough. Mm. You don't need two. And in in the <laughs> end, neither worked. It didn't work. No, yeah. so I don't get that. In the film, he gets picked up by uh, Tonks. Do you know the woman with the colourful hair from the last film? Yeah, she's briefly in it, and I think she might be in this one at the Christmas scene. She's uh, a big character in the books, but she's not really given much to do in the films, and she. Um, gets Harry off the train and it's a big thing. Obviously, they've done that thing that I told you in the last podcast where they give certain roles to other characters that haven't got a lot to do. So they give it to Luna Lovegood, uh, Ivana Lynch. Who who has predator vision. 
Oh, she's great. And I think she's... I, I'm glad it's her. I think she's a better character. And I think use that character because she's better. Yeah. Yeah, she, um, she's, she's sorry, really cool. On. And uh, that mm. I quite like the... I don't know quite how her predator vision works to help <laughs> yes. her see because until she made the invisibility cloak go away, you couldn't actually, even with the special effect thing, you couldn't see Harry. No, so you just see the nargles on his head. Ah, right. Um, what was I going to say? So yeah, we move forward into school. Um, Voldemort, sorry, oh, not Voldemort, I'm going mad. Dumbledore uh, introduces the school term and he starts it with a really sombre um, little speech about Tom Riddle, yeah. which I just put a note saying, Dumbledore gives speech about students being radicalised. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Which, ironically, lots of schools in Britain have had to do. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's like... It's sort of like when uh, kids now have to be searched before going into school. Yeah, that happens in this film as yeah, well, isn't it? It's a bit weird. It's really sad. It's good, though. It's a good scene. I like it. it. It kind of sets up this idea that we're going back to Hogwarts, but it's not like the Hogwarts we saw in the magic first and second movie where it was all silly and fun. No. It's really quite shit now, and things are not good. Everyone's scared. Everyone's kind of on edge. Um, Ron makes a reference to the fact that his mum didn't even want them to go back this year. Yeah. Um, people are worried that Dumbledore's lost his knack and he can't run the school, which I totally agree with, by the way. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm worried. <laughs> that scene uh, in the food hall, yeah. in the Great Hall, that scene, the candles. Did you notice how low the candles were? Oh, yeah, that's a total <laughs> fire hazard. Fire hazard if I've ever seen one. Like, they're normally up in the rafters somewhere, but they're, they're, they're basically at head height. In this. Yeah. The kids no, are all totally. sat down, and they're, they're much taller kids now because they've grown up. So surely yeah. when they stand up, they're just setting things on fire. Emma Watson overacts a lot in this movie. I think I'm just going to brush over that because I can't get time to talk about it. Yeah. But um, she gets better. It just felt like there was something missing, whereas... Yeah. Like, in, in previous films, like yeah. the the scene where she uh, she's trying to communicate between Harry and Ron, and then she yells, "I'm not an owl," which is still yeah. my favourite line of this franchise. I think um, <laughs> when, when she yells, "I'm not an owl," and like she's getting frustrated with the the boyishness of the of the two yeah, of the and characters, I think that works. And, and that works really well. And then uh, that there's so many bits where you know she gets annoyed that Ron hasn't asked her to the dance and. I think um, someone pointed out that, well, why doesn't she ask Ron? Yeah, you know, yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I think we could go on about that all yeah. day, though, couldn't we? I think... I can't... Um, my point was, I guess, I can't put it down completely <laughs> to yeah. Emma's sort of performance. It's the material she's given to work with as well. It's kind <laughs> yeah, of... Yeah, I think that's, it, a, I think that's a big It's difficult. Thing, yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I totally agree, though. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe, very consistent in this. And the material he's working with is more likeable. He's a more likeable character. Mm, it's much better than the last movie. Moving on to more female characters, James. Lavender Brown is introduced in this movie as Ron's little girlfriend uh, fan. Yes. I just put, she. she's basically every fangirl, isn't she, from Harry Potter? Yeah. She is, for me, the epitome of a Harry Potter fangirl that wears the T-shirts and the bracelets and gets the little tattoos. It's kind of disgusting, <laughs> it's... but I, I guess it works with the character well. I guess the character works well because she is literally just obsessed with Ron. It's funny. I think it wears thin really quickly, though. Yes. Yeah, I think it's, you know? it is a little overplayed, but it's, it is, it's the first character that's shown Ron that much yeah. interest um, that, you know, I, and yeah, it, it sort of makes sense. You can imagine it being mm. like a, yeah. a school crush. It. it it works. It's silly. Uh, we see Slughorn's potions lesson. Uh, Harry gets a shitty book. Uh, Ron gets a good book. Ron Again, Harry's a dick to Ron because he tries to take the good book from Ron and Ron ends up with the good book and Harry gets really angry about it. Yeah. Um, Harry then, using the old written, uh, the, the old tattered book, uh, finds out it's got loads of scribbles in it and it makes him really good at potions yes. and it belongs to someone called the Half-Blood Prince. And again, it's not Harry... It's somebody helping Harry go through the plot and succeed. Yep. So Harry becomes really good at potions, but he's not naturally good at it. He just gets ahead because someone else helps him. Yeah, so Harry, in this process, Harry, I've put Harry is not a great wizard, but an accidental one. And, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, yeah. and through this process, he wins Liquid Luck, which from the description sounds like the Room of Requirement, but in bottle form. I think Liquid Luck is the shit that he's been taking the entire way through this <laughs> franchise, if I'm going to be totally honest. Yeah, the he's one on... person that does not need Liquid Luck is Harry. Harry. Yeah. 
give liquid look to anybody else. Just don't give, give it to Neville for fuck's sake. He needs some liquid look. <laughs> oh, and then we, uh, we we see some more yeah. of Dumbledore's memories. We do. We jump into Memory Bowl, which you like. And I do like those scenes. I think they've done a lot better in this movie than they have been in the last ones. I think they've done less silly. I, I'm, um, I'm confused still. because Go on. Harry puts his head in the bowl and sees the memories. Does Dumbledore, Dumbledore... pours them in first. Yeah, but does Dumbledore know the memory? Like, does Dumbledore know what Harry's seeing? Because yeah. when he when yeah, Harry he comes out, there's not enough room in that bowl for two heads. <laughs> yeah. So Elbus pours the vial of liquid, and he knows exactly what memory it is. He pours it in, and then Harry goes into it to see what it was. Yeah, that's yeah. how it's. I remember that's how it's described in the book. I think that's how it comes across in the movie. We yeah uh, we get introduced to the wonderful world of de aging pre the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where de aging yeah. Gambon means a slightly shorter beard and wearing a suit. <laughs> yeah, they just kind of make his hair look a bit darker and they just go, ah, oh, looks all right. That's Gambon in the, what is it, the 1930s, 1920s, are we supposed to assume? I don't know. It's yeah. quite old, isn't it? Um, and he's at an orphanage and he visits Tom Riddle. I think this works really well. I think, if anything, it's it's one of the best scenes in the entire film. I actually wrote that Tom Riddle actually gets more character development in this scene than Harry has up until this point. Yeah. Harry hasn't actually agree. changed character in any of these films, he's not he's not grown. He's seen his best friend or someone that he's close to <laughs> die. Yeah. He's seen his his step uh, not stepfather, but effectively a father Godfather. figure mm. die. Yeah. And and he's he's a a bit more morose than he was when he was younger, but uh, yeah. that that's not character development, that's just a reaction to things that are, are happening. His characters stayed the same. Yeah, uh, I love. I think this scene's great, though. It like it kind of it's chilling and it's cool. It, that's an evil little child. Yes, um, for sure. And then they'd show you the little. There's a little bit. I don't know if you noticed. There's a little postcard on the uh, on on Tom Riddle's windowsill. There's a postcard and some rocks. And the postcard in question is literally a postcard of the cliff and the cave that we go to at the end. Ah. It's on his. It's on like his bedside table with the rocks that he's got from the cave. I'm... That's how you know he's been there as a kid, and I love that because it's referenced in the book, but in the movie they just put it in like a second shot. Right. It's there for a second, and then they cut away from it. Totally missed that. So yeah. wow, okay. And that's how Dumbledore knows where to go at the end because he knows where Tom used to go as a kid. Right. Um, and do you remember when the maid says, I think the, the woman that runs the orphanage says something to Dumbledore along the lines of, there's been incidents with the children, nasty stuff. Yes. And this in the book is a reference to, uh, he took the kids to the cave and he t- tortured one of them basically and left them in the cave and then they got rescued by like air ambulances or whatever. Um, he like lured the kids to the cave to, to trick them because they bullied him at school at the orphanage. Right. It's really good. It works really well in the book and it makes him, it just shows you how sick he actually is as a little boy, even then. I can see why they don't dwell on that in the film because mm, this film's guilty of it enough because later on Dumbledore talks about stuff he's done off screen and I yeah. kept thinking, that sounds like a much better film than what we've been watching. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, then we see a bit where they go to the pub and um, uh, the young girl from the Quidditch team, uh, Katie Bell, gets attacked by a necklace and she's left for dead. But she isn't. She's fine. She, yeah. <laughs> like The danger is real, but it's also not real because um, she's yeah. OK. She's fine. Um, Harry and she's is... trying to give the necklace to Dumbledore on, and we don't know why. And obviously we find out later why. It's Draco snuck it into yeah. the girl's bathroom for her to take it. Harry is still convinced that all this is all Draco, and uh, yes, and it, and it is. He's right. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> he's completely right. But Snape calls him out, saying he's got no evidence, and Harry just says, well, "I just know uh, he must yeah. have read further along in the book than Snape had." Um, <laughs> yeah, Rickman. Rickman's great, and he calls him out, and he's like, yeah. "How grand it must be to be the chosen one." I'm like, "Oh, I love Rickman. Yeah. He's so horrible, but so he delivers his lines better, I think, than any living actor." Oh, yeah. I mean, he's. He is fantastic, and that character, every time I see any sort of interaction with him and other characters, I start to think, this film should yeah. focus on him. He's the hero. Yeah. He knows what's really, up. I think when you see him now, because he's passed away, I think it just makes me more sad. Yeah. I get more sad the more Rickman I see, even though I love seeing him in Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, Ron and Harry have this scene, that I'm going to mention really quickly, where they're sat in bed. Oh, God. And you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Yeah. 
Ron's talking about his sister's skin. <laughs> it's it's so so creepy. It's it's a step it's away a, from um, Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. He, he, it puts the lotion on its skin. Um, it's and he, it's, it's so like creepy. Rolling has, Rowling has no idea what men are t- oh, boys are talking about when they're in their dormitories because it's not that. I'm telling you, J.K., it's not that. You don't talk about girls' sis- friends' sisters' skin. It's fucking weird. It's a weird scene. I don't like but, it. Cut it out. And it carries on because obviously they go around Jim Broadbent's place to have a drink. And Hermione points out Jenny's been crying, but she says her eyes, they've been fighting. It's like eyes, skin, teeth. It's just... Is, is it a body yeah. horror film? Is this what this is slowly becoming? Like It's, it's so weird, isn't yeah. it? Um, There's a really good spit in that scene we just mentioned where Harry mentions Tom Riddle to Jim Broadbent and he kind of flips, doesn't yeah. he? And I love that because it's like Jim Broadbent's eyes just go all big and I think it, I can't imagine seeing that in the book and then seeing him perform it in the film. It's perfect. It's exactly how you imagine it in the in the book and he's one of the few people where they've cast somebody in that role and that is, I think, other than maybe Hagrid... Because Robbie Coltrane's always nailed that. Yeah. I think Hagrid and Jim Broadbent, for me, are the two people in the film that are exactly as I envisioned them in the book. Almost better. Yeah. That's good to know. Because um, they, I mean, they're, they're, they're just great actors anyway, aren't they? And, um, yeah. like, they, uh, he, he does try and pressure him to give him information about his parents' murder, which is a bit weird after you had a nice meal. Yeah. Um, and, and Broadbent gives him nothing. And my notes cut then back to uh, they're in the food hall discussing the events of the previous night, and Ron's feeling a bit left out. And then all of a sudden, Luna's there wearing a lion head. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I didn't understand um, that bit. <laughs> it's because she's a Gryffindor fan, even though she's in Slyth- uh, not Slytherin. What's she in? She's in Ravenclaw House. So it makes makes no sense why she supports Gryffindor Quidditch team because she's not in Gryffindor. So that's bollocks. Um, Quidditch is back. Harry then spikes Ron's drink with the liquid look potion that he gets earlier in the movie. We think. Uh, to spur Ron on and give him the confidence to go on and win the match. Ron then wins the match, gets the attention. I've put here, isn't Ron the goalkeeper? So how the fuck did Ron win the match? He, he stopped the... I, you're asking the wrong person. I don't follow sport ball. But you don't. He, I'm sorry. You are. I put you on the spot there, haven't I? He, he stops a large number of balls going through the thing, but surely the other team could have just caught the snitch. I'm very new to this. <laughs> but why didn't the other team, when they saw that Ron was yeah. being pretty good... Just go after the snitch. Harry so always did, goes after the snitch. Yeah, and how did Ron win the game? They never explained that, so that pissed me off a bit. And then they do that um, really cliched slow motion clapping bit where Hermione walks off and Harry does a double take. He can't understand yeah. why his best friend's a bit upset about his other best friend having a snog. He's snogging someone, yeah. And then Harry, she walks off. Um, they have this little crying moment again. It took me out of the movie a bit. I think it's, it's about the fact that we're showing... I guess we're showing what Hermione's vulnerability... We're showing that there is something there between her and Ron, but it's never explored. And Harry just looks like an idiot. Really. It, he doesn't really do much. We, we we see how angry she is, though, because she hurls birds at Ron. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand I how like. that de- demonstrates how angry she is, but those I birds are like dead. <laughs> yeah, those birds go fully into the wall and they just burst into bits. Yeah. Um, then you get this lovely little shot of Draco hanging over the astronomy tower watching... There's that kind of somber looking over this castle. I like that but, shot. Do uh, you know um, why you like that shot, Jake? Mm. He's upset, but he's not moaning about it. Yeah, like the rest of better. them. <laughs> um, Cormac McLaggen, who is one of the characters I'll mention really quickly, he is sick on Snape's shoes during the scene at the Christmas party, uh, and Rickman's great in this. Um, again, I think if anything, Rickman should have been in this film more, given the importance of his character at the end of the movie. Yeah. But he's not really in this film. He kind of strays in and out of certain moments, and he's gone again. And um, yeah, and he, he but he delivers some of the best lines in the film. He we does. May, he really does. We may have skipped over something really important, Jake. Go on. There's a cupboard. Ah, uh, yeah, the cupboard in the room of requirement that I, I don't know what mouth like it's sticking birds and apples in it. And yeah, it's all a bit and it strange. seems to eat both of them equally. I, I yes. d- at this point in the film, I didn't understand what was going on. But yeah, I did book- notice, though, every time yeah. Malfoy goes to this cupboard, he has to take the cover off. 
Did you really? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, there's a coup, there's a coup that. that he pulls off, and at least twice, it's the exact same shot. Jesus <laughs> They must just run out of shots of him taking this cover off. But at least twice yeah. in the film, it's the same angle, the same shot of him pulling this cover off. They make more of an issue of the vanishing cabinet in the book, in the film, than they do in the book. I think in the book it's mentioned once because he's looking at it in that shop at the beginning of the film. Yeah, Borgin Burks. He's looking at it in that dirty, horrible, dark shop. Yes, and then he mentions it at the end because we find out there's one in the room of requirement. But that's it. Yeah, it's not mentioned at all. I don't think in the books and in the films they keep alluding back to it. Yeah, the film which keeps I guess going he... back there. Which if you're aware of the books makes sense I guess but to me it just looks like he's going back to a cupboard to get rid of Did you have rubbish. any idea what was going on? Well, I, I sort of got that the apple disappeared and it reappeared with a bite mark in it I was like is that the cupboard doing that or is there someone? No. I, I sort of got that it was teleporting It's somebody on the other end doing yeah. it and then sending it back um, So yeah we, we, we do that and then we, we, we're going to a, a party, it's not a Christmas party this time I don't think is it? It's not uh, it's, it's for uh, Jim Broadbent's characters having a. a it's Jim a do. Broadbent's Christmas night out. Okay, so it is a Christmas do. Okay, I, I can be so, I yeah. can be annoyed at it being Christmas then. And um, then after that, Malfoy and Snape have their little moment in the corridor, oh, which is kind of plot exposition, which you shouldn't really talk about when you're in a corridor. Yeah, you probably go somewhere safer. Um, and then Malfoy uh, and Snape says, "Let me help you. I can help you." And then Malfoy goes, "No, I want to do it on my own." And we don't know what it is. No. We don't know what it is, it, James. We have no idea. Uh, we, we do know that um, Harry feels no guilt over Neville, who was solely responsible for Harry surviving the Wizard Death Games, <laughs> is now just serving him drinks. Yes, he is. He, again, he could fucking do with that liquid look, because Neville's serious down his look. Not only is he waiting drinks, he's serving drinks, he's got almost no screen time in this movie. So, Matt Lewis, I want to know if you're listening. In fact, I probably could, I could probably get in touch with Matt Lewis through my mate Matty. I want to know how much Matt Lewis got paid for that fucking movie because he's not in it at all. No, no. <laughs> he, he serves a drink and then uh, gets to do regular school, I guess. Um, someone accuses Harry of being blinded by hate, and I just made a note that actually he's blinded by an ocular failing, not hate. He needs glasses. That's, yeah, that's glasses. Lup- Lupin's back in the movie, which I really like. I love Lupin. I love that character. Um he is with his wife, um, Nymphadora Tonks, the one we mentioned earlier. They're now together. Um, they go to the Christmas at the Borough at the Weasley's house, which I don't know why. Why the hell they got invited to the Weasley's house, I don't know. But they're there, and they uh, and it's Harry trying to snitch on Malfoy, yeah. which is annoying, really, because Harry's usually wrong in all these films, yeah. and it's usually like the big reveal at the end is that it's like it's fucking Quirrell or it's someone else, it's a dog, yeah. and you're like... No, it is Snape. It's yeah. Snape and Malfoy. Yeah. Like, it is. He's, he's right. The, the two creepy-looking characters are actually <laughs> doing the bad stuff. Chocker. The, there's then an attack on the burrow um, by the Death Eaters, and they burn it down. This doesn't happen in the book. Does it this not? Because this, action... is, this is no. brilliant. This is uh, My favourite bit is uh, Bellatrix running through the, the corn, singing, I killed Sirius Black, and then giggling. It's just brilliant. This isn't in the book. In the book, um, there's a character called Rufus Scrimgeour, who is the new Prime Minister for the Wizarding World. He visits the borough at Christmas and takes Harry outside, and he tries to make Harry a poster boy for the Ministry, and Harry refuses and says, you should spend more time looking for Voldemort and less time worrying about your own career. And it's like they become very sour with each other. Okay, okay. Do you know, because Harry's obviously had a shit time of it with the Ministry of Magic in the last film. After they all uh, have, the haven't they? Bo- yeah, like the ministry covered Voldemort up, didn't they? Yeah. And Harry's argument, which is valid, is that they could have done more and they haven't. And now it's too late because he's now got more power and there's people being busted out of prison. It's all gone to pot because the ministry didn't act quick enough. Um, Scrimger is completely quiet at this movie, but I am happy to say that he is introduced in the very first scene of the next movie to apologise to the fans. Okay. So we, you do see Rufus Scrimgeour, and I'll show you who plays him in the next movie. We'll talk about that. Brilliant. Um, but I'm glad... I'm, it doesn't matter. I don't really care. I think the action beat works better. I think they needed something here to lift the film a bit, it, because it is its pace is sorely lacking at this point. It is. I mean, there's... Yeah, it, it, it does speed things up, and, you know... I I did write in my notes though that it's time for the Weasleys to move into that big tent they've got because it's <laughs> yeah, much bigger than the house. Um, um, we need to move swiftly through this, James. Yeah. So I'm going to f- 
pushes on to we go to Slughorn's memory of Riddle when we get back to school. Oh, um, yeah. They did cut out lots of memories. In the book, they go through several different memories, and we can talk about that later, probably in a different podcast. Maybe we'll be doing our last podcast. I'll yeah. talk about it. Things that were missing they from sh- the films would be good because this is yeah. this is this is weird because this is memories rather than just being little plot devices. It's now like the main thing, mm, and yeah. it's like CCTV. It's been yeah. tampered with. So this <laughs> is has. now CSI yeah. Hogwarts. Um, so the riddle riddle is in the memory of Slughorn that, Voldemort, that Dumbledore has got from Slughorn. Yes. But it's wrong. It's not real because he's cut out all the bits that the, the conversation that him and Tom have. They cut it all out. And I think it's really clever. And and then Dumbledore says, this memory might be the most important memory we've ever found. I need to know what Tom Riddle and him talked about in that room, which is great. I think in the movie, this does work really well. Yeah. Uh, it also, the other stuff that we can talk about later is great, but it's unnecessary. It doesn't add anything to the plot um, other than it sets up a few um, plot points that are going to be brought up in the next movie, which again we'll talk about later. Um, they then make a big deal about this. Harry goes back to his room after this terrifying uh, riddle oh, moment. Oh, yes, and Ron's on drugs. And Ron's on drugs. Ron's got a love potion in him. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, we, they use this as a way of, because obviously uh, Jim Broadbent's character is a bit, knocked off with Harry at this stage yes. um, so they use this as a way of getting back into his office I guess And yeah because uh, Harry keeps bugging Slughorn for the memory and he won't talk to him about it so yeah he's using his friend's situation so Ron gets used at, at this point uh, Rupert's expression when he gets the antidote is absolutely fantastic <laughs> <laughs> his face when he drops from happy Ron yeah. to what the hell just happened I, I think he's a brilliant beat. I also want to know. I want to wreck it. I want to go back to another one really quickly. Yeah, which is the one where. And in fact, no, I'm going to leave it to the end. Carry on. Okay. James. My 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 sort of big takeaway from this scene was uh, Jim Broadbent earning his fee completely uh, during the the moment where Ron is still high on this love potion and he gives Jim Broadbent a hug. And, <laughs> yeah. And Jim's yeah. face is just. Oh, it's brilliant. It's great. I, I really like that scene. I think it really lifts the movie and it gives it that it, take, it gives it that kind of family film fun that it was lacking. I think they, it yeah. has got more fun in it than the last one. It certainly needed that because I'm not going to lie to you, James, the next one's fucking grim. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> um, Ron uh, is in hospital. Lavender Brown comes to see him. This is after Ron gets poisoned um, by the mead which is uh, another attempt to kill Dumbledore, as you haven't already figured it out. Um, the mead was intended to be a gift for Dumbledore yes. from Slughorn, and it's got some poison in it, and Ron drinks it first, therefore Ron gets poisoned. And it all happens a bit fast, doesn't it? Yeah, but- and like when... It, th- this film doesn't stick to the, the franchise's rules, because when Hagrid damaged a child, he got demoted yeah. to gamekeeper. But Jim Broadbent <laughs> nearly kills a kid... And he's he's allowed to go to the kid's bedside. Very strange. Yeah. Um, Lavender Brown and Ron break up in the scene in the hospital. And I love this because um, Dumbledore, uh, Gambon, gives this little quip where he says something about teenage love. Yeah. And, and it's like really funny because he kind of like shrugs his shoulders and makes a quip. And I thought it was really sweet. And it's a really funny moment. It Again, is good. That, I really worked that. I thought it was really clever. Um, we then learn that Malfoy is Dum- Brundlefly from The Fly. He's basically just teleporting shit left, right and centre. Yeah. I wonder what happens if he goes into that cabinet with a bird, with the actual bird. Will he come out sort of half Malfoy, half bird on the other end? I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? It, it is strange because he opens the cabinet and the bird's dead. So more yeah. more bird death. The, the birds later, that Hermione Harry, killed. Harry goes to the cabinet when he's with Ginny and the bird comes out of the cabinet, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, I've put the bird is not dead and um, that Jenny is a lot smarter than Harry. Harry has gone from being unlikable to being a likable dope. That room of requirement, James, is basically a big garage full of shit, isn't it? From Hogwarts. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's basically all the stuff they couldn't get rid of. It, it's It's like one or two objects away from being an episode of Hoarders. Yeah, I think it's one of the most expensive sets they ever built, if I remember right, and I'll get you the facts up at the end of the episode. Um, Harry and Jin have a little smooch, a uh, little Ginny have a smooch down there. This is after Harry um, curses Malfoy with an evil spell from the Half-Blood Prince. Yes. Half-Blood Prince is written in the book, use this spell on your enemies. And Harry uses it and nearly kills Malfoy. Malfoy is then saved by Snape, who heals him. That scene's really good, yes. and I think it's really powerful because it's the first bit of like real jeopardy we've had. 
and it's horrible. Like he really does hurt Malfoy and he cuts him open and it's really nasty. And in the book, they describe it really well as well. It's pretty much like he just pours with blood everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly the most, I think it's the most violent sort of wizard attack that we've seen Yeah, in, in the films, especially up until that well, point. Um, Harry then hides the book in the room of requirement. I've got a question about that though. Why does Harry not just burn the book? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to get rid of the book completely, you're just giving yourself an opportunity to go back and get it later. It's it, of course. Um, they Harry then decides to use the luck potion he got before mm, uh, oh, because yeah. he didn't really give it to Ron. It was just a regular drink Ron had, and it was all a placebo. <laughs> so we, um, so we, we still have that that look potion and it seems yeah. to work like a monster energy drink <laughs> it really does isn't it like 10 red bulls yeah i think i think radcliffe does a really good job of that i think he's really good i actually think it's probably daniel radcliffe's probably at his best in that scene yes it's really really funny it's, and he just does it so well it's brilliant and then uh he he meets jim broadbent again um who in his shock of being sort of approached by harry uh nearly dr- pokes his own eyes out with some shears that he's carrying <laughs> Um, and then they go on a walk to Hagrid's house, which seems to be in a different place. It is, isn't it? It is. I thought this. I didn't want to say anything because it might annoy you. But when I was watching it, I thought, is Hagrid's hut in another place? Question mark. And, and also, is this the same spider that scared Harry in the earlier yeah. films? Yeah, he's in. I think he's in Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, Aragog the spider. Yeah, and it they, seems and a they... lot smaller. It's because he's all shriveled up. <laughs> <laughs> like you find him in the bath in the morning when you go to the loo. It's yeah. Oh. It, it's, I, I felt sorry for him, but again, uh, because Harry's on this monster energy look potion, um, and he, they're ask, they're discussing what makes spiders scary, and Daniel Radcliffe makes these pincer <laughs> motions with his fingers from his hands. I think that's great. It's funny. I also think the next scene with Jim Broadbent talking about the fish that Harry's mum gave him as a child. Um, and he has that little tender moment. It's got the beautiful melody in the background that they've done for Slughorn. It's a melody that the, the, the composer has done for Horace Slughorn's character. Yeah. And they slow it down really slow, and it's really gentle in the background whilst Jim Broadbent's delivering the speech about uh, about Harry's mum. Yeah. And I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was a genuinely beautiful bit of storytelling. Um, it, it is. It's just great acting. It's, it's great acting. It's heart touching. It's beautiful. It's a. It's probably the best scene in the film. It's lovely. Yeah. And it's the bit when Slughorn finally gives his memory to Harry, and whilst he's putting it in a little vial, Harry has to hold his hand from shaking. Yeah. And I thought it was beautiful. What a beautiful little scene. And I just don't know why they can't do more of those scenes in Harry Potter because there's so much content in the books. You've described the scene so wonderfully, Jake. And I've just looked down at my notes and I've written. <laughs> Jim gives over the unedited CCTV. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! Basically, I've turned a a beautiful moment into like the final scene on the on the last bit of the bill, (laughs) like fucking line of duty. Yeah, he does. He gives over the ta- untampered footage to Harry, yeah. and Harry and Dumbledore then find out that the thing that Slughorn told Dum- uh, Voldemort... I've got to stop getting them two mixed yeah. up. The thing that Slughorn told Voldemort is that if you split your soul into seven pieces and put them in objects, then if you're ever attacked and killed, you cannot die. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> so, yeah. So, basically, he's responsible for everything. And I, I've written down, obviously, because we discussed this, how you know people, you know, you, you can't prevent death. And then, obviously, this shows that someone's figured out a way. And the way you prevent your own death <clears throat> is by killing somebody else, it seems. Yeah, so when Voldemort murders, he splits his soul and he splits it and puts it into an object. And these objects become the MacGuffins of the next movie. Yeah. Similar to the Infinity Stones and Avengers, they become very important. Yeah. Um, so as you can imagine, I I, mm. I struggled again with this whole uh, memory bowl thing because I I almost I gave it a pass before because I figured well Dumbledore has all these memories in vials he's probably watched them before mm. this this is the first time they've seen this memory and I'm assuming Harry is the first one to put his head in the bowl but Dumbledore instantly knows what happened yeah I, don't get that I don't I'm sw- <laughs> I, that bowl isn't big enough for two faces. Maybe it is James. Maybe it's a bath. It's yeah. You know, magic did it. Magic did it. Well, <laughs> um, Dumbledore um, finds out about it. We learned that the ring that um, Dumbledore had, and I think if you, it's kind of referenced, but Dumbledore's manky hand in this film 
it's because he put the ring on and he shouldn't have. Ah, right. That that isn't mentioned in the film. And uh, this is the bit where I've put Dumbledore describes adventures more interesting than this film's plot. <laughs> he does. We should have just watched Dumbledore. Where he says, where have you been going all the time? Dumbledore's been going to find the Horcruxes. Yeah. We could have watched that film. Yeah. That would have been a better film. That, that would have been an interesting film. And then uh, he says he needs to ask too much of Harry. And I've said, how can you ask too much of Harry? He gets everything given to him. <laughs> <laughs> they then Harry and Dumbledore then apparate away to. Oh, there's just um, one more one more bit before that where go on. Um, Harry tells Dumbledore, "You look the same to me, sir." And I put, "Nope, you used to look like Richard Harris." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I look the same to you, sir. Well, not really, Dan. He's changed actors. <laughs> um, I think Snape and Dumbledore have a moment as well here where I think they give away too much plot. Mm. They do that thing where, like, do you know when Chris Tarrant on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire sways someone in the right direction for the answer? Yeah. <laughs> Snape and Dumbledore sort of do that where Snape goes, you asked too much of me, I don't want to do this anymore. And Dumbledore goes, whether you want to or not is irrelevant. You promise to do this and you will. And it's like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this isn't in the book, it's added for the moviegoers. Oh. I just think it's pointless. Um, we then go to the cave. I think this scene's great. Yes. It looks great. It's very ominous. It's very scary. The lighting's very harsh. It's almost drained of all saturation and all colour apart from the white light from their wands. Yeah. Um, Harry and Dumbledore then go across this lake to a island in the middle of the lake where they have to drink a potion, um, which is called the Drink of Despair. Ah, uh, Again, not given a name in the film, I don't think. Mm. But it makes Dumbledore go into ultra-depression mode. Yeah. And, and it's really sick. It's a really horrible bit, I think. It's genuinely, I think, for a kid's film, and I think Mrs. has said this before, like, it's not a nice bit no, for a kid's film. It's it's genuinely quite harrowing, that bit. It is. It's horrible. And then when Harry, um, after Harry gives the potion to Dumbledore, uh, he goes to get him some water, but he can't because he fills the bowl up, but the bowl won't let him fill the cup up. Yeah. And it's that sick thing that Voldemort's done to sort of, like, taunt whoever goes there. So Harry puts his cup in the water to get some water out of a lake, which ironically probably will be salt water. So Harry, that's not good for him. <laughs> um, and then a hand jumps out of the water and grabs Harry. It's terrifying. It is. And, and all these dead people start climbing out of the water. Yeah, he's attacked by a million golems, I've written. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really horrible. And then we get, I guess, one of the most impressive scenes is when Dumbledore saves Harry. Again, he, God knows how, but he's got up and he's fine. And he makes this huge firestorm, which, if you Google it, James, is the front cover of the book, and it's a really beautiful ah, bit of art. Okay. They did, they did this beautiful bit of artwork for the front of the book, which is Harry and Dumbledore together, surrounded by darkness with all these flames around them. Right. And it's that moment where Dumbledore pulls Harry out of the water and he's got all the flames around him and he's killing all of the inferior, all the dead uh, people. And It um, is impressive. Yeah, it's great. And then they go back and it's kind of, I don't know, I feel like it's a bit anticlimactic. If anything, I'd have liked more of the cave scene, but we cut away from it really quickly. Yeah. And then we go back to Draco. Who is looking surprisingly fit and healthy after being murdered. Um, and then yeah, he's healed. in the hospital wing, I think. Yeah, and then he gets up, and he's wearing the a, of, he's wearing a sorry, suit. He's wearing a suit that looks a lot like a mini version of the suit Voldemort wore in Harry's premonition. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. that's a good point. I, I didn't remember that. I, yeah, I don't know if that's intentional or not. God, but it no, looks probably not. It looks it, it looks a lot like the same. It's James. I think you're giving these film directors too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't put that much thought into it, James. Oh, um, okay. The baddies then come through the vanishing cabinet into uh, the castle, which is something that they've alluded to, that they can't get into the castle, so the castle's safe. Yeah. But now, oh, it's not safe. They found a way in through these cabinets that join to each other. And it's kind of established earlier on. It's a bit... I, I feel like it's one of those things that films struggle with, where they slap their audiences in the face with stuff that's very obvious. Yeah. Um, but it's all gone to shit now, James, because the baddies are in, and Dumbledore hasn't a chance, because he's about to be killed by... Malfoy, yeah. and Snape says no, and then kills Dumbledore anyway. Yeah, yeah. And it's that shocking. <gasps> oh, you are Roman. a bad guy after all. And and, and Draco is Dumb kind of regretting joining his evil gang. I think Draco at that point we know he's not going to kill him. Yeah, he bottle he proper bottles it, and someone says like he didn't have the stomach for it, and Dumbledore dies, and that's it, James. Dumbledore's dead. Yeah. They haven't got the time. It's it happens very quickly, which I like. That I like that it happens really quick in the film. 
and it comes out of left field because in the book it does the same thing. It kind of something happens and something happens and Harry's there, then Dumbledore's there, and then Malfoy's there, and Dumbledore tells Harry to hide, and then Snape appears and kills him. Yeah, and it's like wait what? And everyone reading the book just did that instant what the fuck moment. But it's great. I think it. I think they did it genuinely. I think that's quite a good moment. You see it from Harry's perspective. Yeah. Um, he falls from the tower. He's dead. And now Harry's on his own, and he doesn't have the Horcrux because the one that they stole from the cave, the locket, isn't the real one. It's, it's not the fake. real one. And uh, Bellatrix has a great scene here where she runs through the school and she yeah. destroys the food hall. And then she's great, isn't she? And then they deal with my biggest problem with this film. They, or, or any of these films, they, they they fix it. Hagrid's house can't move now; it's been blown up. <laughs> Burn it down. Also, is anyone else worried about Hagrid in that scene? Because he's it's quite late. Yeah, he's <laughs> probably in bed. Fang's probably in there as well. And I it's know. just I, I I hope I didn't they're think all anyone's out. Get, so Hagrid is fine because he's at the end. You see him. Yes. Um, Snape then, uh, and again we're gonna. I'm, I nearly washed over this, which is a really shit thing to do on a professional podcast like ours, James. Um, <laughs> Snape then reveals to Harry that um, he is the Half Blood Prince, and this is in reference to when Harry uses the spell that he used to against Malfoy yeah. he uses it against Snape and Snape backfires it and says you can't use my own spell against me and he says yes I'm the half of the prince and you're like ooh okay <laughs> well like, you, you might be ooh okay I was like and? <laughs> it's pretty obvious isn't it? well it's not even obvious It's it doesn't mean anything to me because what significance other than having, basically Harry having his book <laughs> There's no the, other... the significance in the novel is that he has a book and he learns that the person that wrote it isn't a good person. Oh, right, because that isn't detailed in the film at all. Oh, yeah, the... do you know the bit when he uh, attacks Malfoy? Yeah. And it's a genuinely horrific spell. That's invented by Snape for the people he doesn't like. And it reveals that Snape maybe isn't the nice guy that we thought he might be secretly. Right. He is kind of an evil person. Because I, I, um, I got that that was a, a terrible thing, mm. but they've already, they've been over other, you know, they, they had the uh, the unforgivable curses, didn't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Already. So I, I was already aware that there were some pretty nasty spells out there. And yeah. so to me, this book was just a book that Harry had that was giving him all the information. Mm-hmm. And uh, then Snape revealed that he did all the notes. So well, he is very clever, and he was potions master, so it kind of makes sense. Yeah. But I think it's it's hinted upon that this half blood prince might be Voldemort. Yeah, but it's not. It isn't him. It's Snape. Right. Um, Rab has stolen the real locket, James. He's left Voldy a message. Um, so he's clearly a good person, but I'm not going to tell you who he is. Uh, and he says to, "I'm going to destroy this locket, and you'll be mortal once more when you face your match." Yeah. And then Ron, Harry, and Hermione are on the lo- on the loan. They have no help. Voldemort, uh, sorry, Dumbledore's gone. Voldemort is still out there, and they need to find the remaining four Horcruxes. The two they destroyed, the diary and the ring, are gone. Yeah. But they've got four more to find. And they're in a bad place. Yeah. And I think in a cinematic standpoint, it it sets up the next, the finale, which it is. The finale is is in two parts, but it is one storyline. Yeah. And it sets up really well. It does. It sets it really well. There's this one line, though, where uh, I think it's Harry says, I never realised how beautiful this place it was. And then it cuts to like a a, a panning shot of the surrounding area around Hogwarts. But because the film's colour palette has gone so green and brown and dowdy, it's like, it doesn't look... (laughs) That Looked beautiful, that nice. and and it, it, they added that little scene that the very final scene in the movie is Forks the Phoenix flying off into the sunset, which is obviously symbolism for Dumbledore departing this life. Yeah, in the book, it's his funeral. They do a Dumbledore's funeral. Okay, but they don't do it. They, they just cut it all out. I think it would have just made the film far too long. Yeah, and um, that that and they, they a yeah they have the little moment with Dumbledore on the grass dead, and they all put their wands in the air, don't they, to stop the big skull thing in the yeah, sky. Yeah, they get rid of the tattoo in the sky, and yeah. Then the credits start to roll because we've had this beautiful end to Dumbledore's life and things are um, fairly somber, but it, it's been delicately mm. done. And then the credits music's this wonderful jig <laughs> that just they, that yeah, took me by surprise. That. I was like, "This is far oh, too God. jolly for this ending. What's going yeah. on?" It's a really sad ending, isn't yeah. it? Um, and then it sets up the next one perfectly. <laughs> Um, so James, 
Uh, five facts for you. Amazing. We need to wrap this up because we're going to go all night otherwise. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with my first fact, which is a total of 27 owls <laughs> appear in Half-Blood Prince, <laughs> and every single owl that appeared had a minimum of three stunt doubles. <laughs> How many owls did they need? I don't know. And I don't even recollect it. seeing any of them. Um, number two. There's a man, there's a boy called Hero Finds Tiffin, strangest fucking name I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, Hero plays young Tom Riddle, and he is the nephew of Ralph Fiennes, Ray Fiennes, the, uh, who plays Voldemort. Uh, obviously, Voldemort doesn't appear in this film, except as a child. He's not actually in the film at all. Yeah. They save him for the next one. Um, oh, I've got the fact, I'm not going to put it as one, but um, Radcliffe... Um, Radcliffe said he hated watching himself in this movie because he hated his acting um, in this movie. He also claimed that he was sometimes turned up drunk on set for Half-Blood Prince. So yeah, it was what I told you earlier at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, it's mad. Uh, What else have I got? Number three. Uh, Number three. The scene in which Ron squeezed in between Ginny and Harry to break them up during Christmas with a mince pie had to be filmed more than 20 times because Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert Grint could not stop laughing every time he did it. (laughs) (laughs) It is a good scene. That is a good scene. It's worth it. Um, I'm glad they did it so many times. Yeah. Number four, Jessie Cave, who plays Lavender Brown, the girlfriend of Ron. Mm -hmm. Um, She was one of 7,000 girls that auditioned for the part of Lavender. Oh, God. Eventually, she landed the role... Um, final seven girls had to appear on screen with Rupert Grint and over a five hour period they had to do some improvisation with him um, she Jess, Jess, uh, Jessie Cave who plays her uh, said that she wouldn't have minded if she didn't get the part she said the screen tests were exciting enough Oh, that's a she is a proper fan girl yeah. but I think it's really it's really cute and it does work quite well <laughs> yeah I like that uh, I'm going to find a final fact for you on here we talked about Scrimger being uh, taken out of the um, of the film yeah. entirely, which he was. Um, the first take in the scene in which Harry uh, in the first scene in the take which Hermione hits Harry in the head in the library, Watson did it so hard that the scene had to be refilmed because you could hear the bang against Radcliffe's head, <laughs> <laughs> and it nearly knocked him out. Oh. Um, and this one, actually, I'll give you one last fact because it made me laugh and it was something that you mentioned a few times, even in this episode. The dark mark is actually a transfer tattoo. <laughs> 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 uh, it's so rubbish. Yeah. That... I've I've met a girl that has it, James. Oh. She got it tattooed on her arm because she's a big Harry Potter nerd. And, and obviously edgy. Yeah. Have the dark mark. It's so strange, isn't it? <laughs> it's... Yeah, five facts for the day. Five facts. Um, I do want to do as well, and you're going to have to put the jingle in, because I don't think we put it in last time. It's our ship merchandise competition of the week. Oh, yes. Here's a jingle. That was a jingle. <laughs> <laughs> Cut that bit out. Um, oh, I do have actually, uh, we'll do this last, but I'm going to do the ship merchandise competition of the week. Uh, what have you got, James? I have. <laughs> And I'll send you the picture because I think it needs to be we'll put it, seen. We'll put it on Twitter. Uh, it's it's a t-shirt, Jake. It's a t-shirt with. Oh, that's so funny because I've gone for t-shirt as well. Brilliant. We, we've gone we've gone on theme. This is great. Oh, that's my, great. My my t-shirt uh, is a picture of Harry's scar with glasses yep. on it, and then yep. text underneath that which reads, "My magic brings the Voldemort to the yard. Damn right, it's hurting my scar." Oh, that's so funny. I think we might have gone for the same stuff because I found one on a similar site. Um, oh, there's two. I'm going to read two because they're so shit. This one is just a wizard girl living in a muggle world. I took the mid- the Hogwarts train going anywhere. Oh, God. It's a Hogwarts <laughs> journey a, crossover. It's, the, it's a journey t-shirt and it's terrible oh. and then there's another one and i'm gonna try and find it because i don't think it even worked and i think i i read it to my wife to see if she got it and she didn't get it either um yours is pretty shit i think yours might have won this week <laughs> this one's great it's another t-shirt that reads you don't like harry potter i am wingardian levioso done with you <laughs> oh dear oh jesus christ 
Christ. <laughs> well, yeah. I think, Jake, this yeah. means, because we, we <coughs> had planned, I believe, on doing a, a special episode to sort of finish off these films. We will, yeah, absolutely, we will. And I think the plan also is to maybe make this a video episode so it can go on YouTube. Mm-hmm. We can do that, yeah. I think That's we fine. I think we need to wear these t-shirts. We can definitely have a look, James. We can try and get some. <laughs> oh dear God, they are terrible. Well, that's it, James. That's uh, that's Half Blood Prince, mate. Done, done, and job done. So, what happened in the film? <laughs> no idea. Uh, Dumbledore. It's the one where Dumbledore died, James. Ah, right. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, Dumbledore died, and they didn't find a Horcrux. <laughs> I think yeah, I think they could legitimately have cut out forty-five minutes of this movie, and it would have been a better film. Yeah, totally honest. I think that it suffers from a bit of self-indulgence. I think it's the director David Yates' second outing with Potter as well, so it feels like he's sort of settled into it a little bit. Yeah, and I feel like they rushed the last one to get through it because it's a big book, like we talked about last week, and then this one they did too much shit, and a lot of it's pointless. Uh, yeah, so much of it. But, you know, we're, we're nearly there. This is... We are. We're in the next week. We're doing the penultimate episode in the, uh, for Harry Potter, which will be uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part one. Part one, which fills me with <clears throat> fear and dread that there's two parts to what is essentially one book. Um, I think me and James, if you say this, we're probably going to hook up and watch these together, aren't we? And do them together. I'm, I'm going to need support. Emotional support. Yeah, I think we'll just go through the last ones, watch them together, and then knock them both out in two episodes, and hopefully we can just put this behind us and then move on to our next <laughs> franchise. We will be doing some specials. Um, when we get to series two of Do the Franchise, which will be our next set of movies, we've decided to go with uh, Fast and Furious. So we will be talking more about that in our later episode, moving up to uh, leading up to the the second series. But yeah, we will be finishing Potter on a high note. Yep, <laughs> and we will have a special guest as well. Excellent. That's it, James. I'm done. Done. Wonderful. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for your patience, everybody. And we will uh, see you again next week. See you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.